Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Unfortunate Cookies. At the end of your meal, no longer should you have to crack open a stale bite of sweetness to find a message of generic positivity. Instead, try Unfortunate Cookies, the devious and delectable treats that prey on your greatest fears and get strangely specific while doing so. Fall victim to bite-sized doses of reality like, it's not your baby, you should probably get tested, and hooray, you're going to federal prison. More than our recipe will leave a bad taste in your mouth. We're about as sweet as diabetes. Unfortunate cookies. The cookie? It takes a bite out of you. Patent pending. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yeah! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. everybody welcome to another episode of the platinum sombrero brought to you by armchair all americans and our friends at my bookie mybookie.ag the number one place for online sports betting whatever sport you like to bet on the nhl playoffs are still going on uh basketball playoffs going on things are starting to heat up in the basketball playoff race baseball is in a full swing now whatever it is you like to bet on mybookie.ag has you covered whether you're a boxing fan a, a mma fan whatever it is they've got all the best lines they've got the most innovative and the the up, most up-to-date prop bets they've got everything that you need if, if you're a gambling addict or if you're a newbie mybookie.ag has you covered if you ever have any questions about a line what a certain number line means their customer service is second to none, quick to respond, and they will help you on your way. Plus, as an added bonus, if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they will match your initial deposit up to 50%. So if you put in $100 when you sign up, they'll throw in an extra 50 So you got free money to play with. Free money is always the best money. And at mybookie.ag, they are 100% all for you having the best experience possible. Mybookie.ag. Play, win, have a great time. So <clears throat> trying to think of how we're going to open the show, I just feel like I need to be honest. Um, last night, if you thought you heard like a cicada going around in your yard, you probably heard me all the way from Canton screaming like a little girl when Max Fried went down in a heap. 
that was scary, scary stuff. And luckily he came away. What seems to be that he came away unscathed. We are recording this on Wednesday. So if you were listening to this after that and new news has emerged, don't hold that against us. But, uh, for all of the different injuries, whether it's the blisters or getting cut by his own pinky nail or the lower back trouble, every single thing that that he has had this year has largely been free of a lot of that stuff. So what better way to, to kind of ruin everybody's good feeling but a comebacker that appeared to be off of his face uh, and then wound up just coming off of his pitching hand. So that was uh, that was scary. I did not squeal like a little girl, alas, but I was very tired at the time. I would have if I'd been a little more awake. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a bad night in the short household when that happened. Uh, he was getting hit really hard, and I do wonder. Max is always so poised, but it was his first start back home, and he's from L.A., so I do kind of wonder if that played a little bit or if it's just the fact that the Dodgers are really, really good and have a really, really deep lineup. Um Gave up a, a hard shot to uh, Kike Hernandez to start the game. Ender pulls it in at the wall. Justin Turner, unfortunately, refound his swing last night with three homers, one of them off Max Freed. Um, but he also ran into a lot of bad luck in that first inning. And it's going to sound like I'm just making an excuse for my boy Max. Maybe that's partly true. But for the most part, if you watch the inning, uh, the two pass balls or the two what they called wild pitches were not wild pitches. Uh, A professional catcher, Tyler Flowers, decided to backhand a curveball in the dirt uh, like a dummy, which I'm pretty sure they teach you when you're like 13 that if you get a breaking ball in the dirt, you slide with it. You don't backhand because what can happen? Exactly what happened in that game. Uh, The next one was an off-target pitch. I believe Flowers had uh, had Max set up to go low and away, and it was high, high and over the middle. But it did hit Tyler in the glove, so I count that as a pass ball too, almost like a first baseman. Hit your glove, man. You got to catch it, especially when you've got L.A. has has a lot of room back behind the plate. Need you to catch the ball. I guess if you're looking for some sort of silver lining, aside from Jerry Blevins getting knocked around partially by a three-run homer by Justin Turner, uh, the bullpen really did well last night, and that's the theme since the Cleveland series. The bullpen has been in the top five in nearly every category, which is amazing what can happen when two of the worst members of your bullpen are no longer able to be run out there every game. Funny how that works. And I wonder what Jesse Biddle and Chad Sabaki are thinking now that they're quote unquote on the IL uh, with, with these injuries that, they, that they've got and wondering like, huh, where am I going to fit in? But you brought up a couple interesting points here. Um, first being Max's first start in at Dodger Stadium, it reminds me a lot of Newcomb going to Boston and starting against the Red Sox last year. Like how much of it is jitters and how much of it is, uh, how much of that is because Nuke grew up a Red Sox fan, Free grew up a Dodgers fan pitching at home, and how much of it has to do with, I mean, the, the Red Sox, stop me if you've heard it before, they were pretty freaking good last year, <laughs> and the Dodgers are kind of amazing now. Um, as it pertains to Flowers, you have have said a number of times just about how much more comfortable Max is with McCann. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know that a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that they were facing Ryu, who is a lefty and flowers hits lefties pretty well. But, uh, but Max, just, regardless of whether it had to do with, with flowers instead of BMAC or being in LA or just because the Dodgers kind of beat up on everybody, he just seemed out of sorts. It's the most out of sorts I've seen him since, 
since last year. It, it seemed kind of like he would be pitching if he was dealing with a blister coming into it. So good news is it's just a blip. Bad news is you, you, you kind of got to stand up and dust yourself off and we'll see how he, how he responds from this. If, you know, even when the trainer was out and he was kind of touching on his hand, didn't seem to be in any obvious pain. After he threw the two pitches, Krannitz was like, nah, you're, you're <laughs> no, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Not happening. Bring but, in the old uh, guy. And he seemed, he seemed like he was fine. You know, that there could be uh, something, something else to that. So that remains to be seen whether he's going to make his next start here uh, against the diamondbacks, but all things considered, uh, he's still one of the one of the aces of, of this staff, and uh, and hopefully th- this is not indicative of anything other than just it was just a bad start. You know, everybody's allowed a bad start now and then. I do think it was more bad start. He didn't have a handle on anything, his fastball or his curveball. And if he's not locating his fastball or his curveball, then there's something else. I, I, and I do think it's more the he grew up a Dodgers fan. Sandy Koufax is his guy, and you know. You obviously know Sandy Koufax. When you think Sandy Koufax, you think Dodgers. So I, I think that had a little bit to do with it. Um, as far as the rest of it goes, according to to all the reports, uh, it's just a, a contusion on top of his hand, uh, some seam prints on his hand. It's a little battle scar there for him. He's still assuming – he still thinks he's going to make his start Sunday against Arizona, which is good because the Braves have not had a good series with L.A. They are on the brink of being swept – and it will be Mike Fultonevich taking the bump against Clayton Kershaw tonight uh, as the Braves try to salvage one and then go to Arizona, who just got done sweeping the Braves. All that momentum you gathered off the Marlins series can be taken away if you lose tonight. And that is a tall task for a pitcher in Fulte who has not looked comfortable since coming back up this season. I don't know how much of it has to do with general loss of effectiveness or the fact that that Fulte didn't really get a spring training because of the bone spurs and the elbow. I'm not sure exactly what it is. He just has been been a lot more like 2016, 2017, rough around the edges, Fulte. And he, he's had his moments where, where he's looked okay. Like the, the first little bit of his uh, first start of the year against Colorado, he looked looked like he was fine, but seemed to be dropping velocity at the, the end of the last game. He just, I'm hoping it's just a, that he hasn't had a chance to, to ramp up, but you know, this type of stuff is going to wind up happening. And, and of course, when you get your, your guy that was your ace last year, you're, you're going up against Clayton Kershaw, who even, even in the twilight of his, of his career, if, if you want to call it that, I mean, then he's still able to dominate even just in a different way. This is, this is why, when you look at guys who can pitch as opposed to guys who can throw, you get the upper hand because then now it's like, oh, I already know how to sequence and do all these things. You don't have to just worry about blowing somebody away. So, It is a different Clayton Kershaw. This Clayton Kershaw is not the one – this is not the 2016 Kershaw who could throw 95 and then break off that ridiculous 12-6er. Uh, this Clayton Kershaw is about 88 to 91, 92. Dealt with the back injuries that he's had over the course of his career. It's kind of eerie how similar his career in Sandy Koufax's have been to this point, uh, even as far as the injuries late in their careers. Now, if any pitcher is going to learn how to pitch with diminished stuff and still be incredibly effective, it's going to be Kershaw. But I don't think this is the same ace type of Kershaw. So in that aspect, I almost feel I almost feel better facing this version of Kershaw than I do facing Walker Bueller or Hinjin Ryu, who while I don't think Ryu is better than Kershaw, the Braves have always struggled with guys like Ryu, guys that don't overpower, but just never throw anything down the middle of the plate 
everything is on the black. And whether he walks you or whether he induces weak contact, it does not matter to Ryu. He's like like how the Braves always struggle with Dan Straley. I feel like Hinjin Ryu is like a better version of Dan Straley. <laughs> I uh, I don't think you're giving Ryu quite enough credit. Well, hold, hold on. Let me preface. Uh, he's like a better version of Dan Straley like five years ago. Remember when Dan Straley w- was actually good? Not the punching bag that he is now, now that he's older. But when Dan Straley was, was kind of in his prime, so to speak, and he was a guy that was throwing 88, 89, but the Braves could never freaking hit him. Or Tanner Roark, if that makes you feel any better. Uh, how the Braves could never seem to hit Tanner Roark when he was with the Nationals. I mean, Ryu, Ryu is pretty good. I think I think that uh, that the the Roark one is is, is a fine comp. It's uh, it's just it's frustrating though because every like the last time the Braves saw Ryu was in NLDS, and that was second straight shutout. Right, that was game game two. Yep. That yeah, that was uh, that was that was not good. So. It's just frustrating, and this always seems like it happens on the West Coast. We talked before the show about the Braves having won a series in Los Angeles since 2013, which, um, think about where you were six years ago. That was the last time that the uh, that the Braves won a series out there. Um, haven't won a series just, against the Dodgers, period, since 2015. Well, and when you start looking on the calendar, there are certain things that you can take to heart. Like, you look at this past series against the Marlins, and even the one that they played against them last month, you say, okay, we're going to win that series. Ideally, you're going to sweep, but as long as you win it, you know, that's that's okay. Those are the games you're supposed to win. And when you start looking at games on the West Coast, when you're playing the Dodgers, you're going and playing the Diamondbacks sometimes, it's like, uh, probably looking at a three and seven road trip. Uh, you know what I mean? When you when you start looking at games like that, because that's just how it always goes. And it all and it all evens out in the end. But I can't figure out for the life of me why it is. It's not like last year's team sucked and this year's like we're talking complete roster turnover from 2013 with the exception of Julio and Freddie and no team can beat if no Braves team can ever beat any Dodgers team why is that why why does it only and I guess with them it doesn't even just happen out there it kind of happens everywhere but I mean it's almost like the Expos you remember how much how many problems the Braves had with the Expos in the 90s always all the time it, it, it seems to be that now, granted, the Dodgers are a heck of a lot better than the Expos. It, it's, it's almost like a, a big brother, little brother complex. We're like, Atlanta, I'm going to say this and it sounds bad, but Atlanta is like the little brother in this instance where we start feeling pretty good. We start feeling ourselves feeling like, uh, hey, we're, we're going to go, but we're going to take him in one on one. All of a sudden, the big brother just like hand on the forehead and just dominates you. That's, that's kind of how this this rivalry has become. Like, I'm not sure Dodgers fans really see it as a rivalry. But if you ask Braves fans, like, who's the one team you want to knock out of the playoffs, aside from somebody in your own division, it's going to be the Dodgers or the Cardinals. Like, that's it. And those are two teams that have traditionally beaten the crap out of the Braves, at least as long as I've been alive. So 28 years or so. And it's, it's, well, for the for the Braves, as you know, there were five years in between the 2013 series and last year. And everybody was like, oh, we, we have to avenge the Dodgers. We're holding on to, the, to that image of Craig Kimbrell standing in the bullpen with his arms crossed, right? And then everything went in the tank, and so we still hate the Dodgers. That's our last memory of playoff baseball is getting schooled. And then who do we draw last year? The Dodgers again. So it's like stirring up old wounds for everybody that was around the last series. And now it's like uh, for anybody that just started paying attention as the Braves started emerging out of the rebuild, now it's like, oh, we hate the Dodgers too. So this is where like young – 
young Braves fans, old Braves fans can all come together in their mutual loathing for a not really that common enemy. No, and it's just a team that they have a ton of money. They always seem to win. Their talent evaluation is second to none. Like there's there's a lot of reasons to hate the Dodgers and to be jealous of the Dodgers. Uh, so I, I I need to see them win tonight because Kevin Gosman did not have his best stuff. You can't blame being tired because he barely threw against the Marlins as he got a measure of revenge for Ronald Acuna last season. Uh, it does bring up a point that I want to talk about. Kevin Gosman and Julio Tehran. If you were to take a look at the two of them and ask just the random Braves fan, which pitcher is better? I would it be fair to say most people would say that Kevin Gosman is better than Julio Tehran? Uh, I would. I mean, they're almost interchangeable at this point. As far as I mean, it's it's the same gripe you have with both of them. You just never know which one of them you're going to get, or even when you get the good one, how long before the bad one shows up. I mean, if you look at Kevin Gosman this year, he's got a five ERA, but he's got a four oh six WHIP. Uh, pulling up Julio stats, it, it. I think most people would tell you that Kevin Gosman is probably better than Julio, mostly because there's a little bit of fatigue with Julio because we all he was the number one prospect in baseball. Uh, he he had those quick flirts with with being absolutely untouchable for a while, and then his 2016 season, and then it just fell so hard. Whereas Julio has a four six three ERA and a four eight uh, FIP, so they are pretty close to interchangeable. But if, if I'm watching the two of them, I almost prefer Julio, especially this season. I think Julio's line is is kind of misrepresentative of how he's actually pitched. It's been like a grand total of maybe six or seven bad innings over the course of this entire season for him. Gosman, like you mentioned, there's starts where he'll go out and he'll strike out ten. Then there's starts where he'll walk seven. And it's just it, it it's one of those weird things that because you, Julio did not turn out like you expect, you automatically think he's worse than he is. And because we only have like what three total months of Gosman to look at, I think people kinda tend to think he's a little bit overrated. Like I I or people seem to overrate him. Like if you were to ask me if Gosman's spot in the rotation is safe, I would tell you it absolutely should not be. And and I will I will agree with you on that. I don't know if he necessarily would play up in the bullpen, but him going to the pen as opposed to Julio that makes a lot more sense because Gossman Gossman can rear back and touch ninety eight if he needs to. Then um, the biggest difference between the two is like you said, Julio will have that one big inning, and you know he'll pitch five no hit innings and then give up six runs in the sixth inning as opposed to Gossman, who it's like he'll give up one run every single inning. It's like, do you want to get stabbed and just bleed out of that one wound, or do you want just like a thousand little paper cuts? Right. You know, it's you, you're going to bleed out no matter no matter what happens. So um, if they're both vying for the five spot, I just go Julio because I've got the history with him. You know, you remember when he was a prospect. You remember when he came up and all the – you just see it on his face when he's like, okay, I'm going to go just allow three hits over seven innings during the Braves rebuild and, uh, you know. No, I'm not gonna get the win here. You know, you just you <laughs> yeah. just see it. I just hate it for him. And the fact that he got to be on a good team again, I just there's part of me that that you know they've got an option for him next year. It's twelve million dollars, and I just I there's part of me that hopes they pick it up. I don't think they do. I really don't. I'm, I think they're struggling. Oh, I think they're struggling right now to find spots no, I, for everybody. I, I don't think that, I don't think they're going to. But just like the emotional aspect of it, it's like man. He's been he's just been here forever. Like when everything changed, they even changed stadiums. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like the only two things that have remained from 2013 are Julio and Freddie. So um, I just, I hate, hate the idea of him like looking up and just seeing him in a pirate's uniform and Ray Searage has worked his magic and Julio wins a Cy Young next year. So, but Gossman, he's got, it's frustrating. Like he'll, you saw the other night, like he struck out Cody Bellinger on just some nasty bugs, bunny type stuff. And then, Next thing you know, he's like, oh, and, you know, here's a double and here's a home run and here's a just he falls falls apart. And it's like he loses it from one batter to the next. So I don't know. I don't I think that because he's kind of the elder statesman here that he could wind up being. Kind of he'll wind up holding on to his rotation spot, maybe longer than he should. But you could say the same thing about Julio. So maybe they're the exact same person. And Gosman still has an option, but he would have to accept the assignment, which not going to happen because somebody would would take him. Uh, also, it's probably because with his hat on, he looks he looks like a thinner Adam LaRoche. He like does. it, it, it kind of bothers me. Uh, I, I've just never been a huge <laughs> Go- I've never been a huge Gosman fan. Just to be perfectly honest, I don't like I don't like inconsistency. And what I can say about Julio is at least you tend to know what he is start to start. Um, but some starts he looks much better, some starts he looks worse. But for the most part, you know what you're getting. But one thing that Gosman did that endeared him to many a Braves fan was throwing behind Urania. And yes, he was absolutely trying to hit him. The Braves yeah. knew it. That's why they called up Tukey in the first place. So if you're asking me, I had no problems with him getting tossed. I had no problems with him getting the suspension. He almost had to. Uh, and I also have no problems with him doing it in the first place. And you know the organization absolutely knew what they, like why they knew this was going to happen. That's why they brought up Tukey. Like, Tukey was brought up for, for one reason and one reason only. They probably asked Gosman, hey, are you going to hit him? And he said, yeah, I'm going to hit him. So they brought Tukey up. Uh, it, it was not some shock. It was not something that people could not fathom. Yeah, there's part of me that wants to think that Tukey getting called up was a little more like, oh, yeah, we need somebody who's going to be able to cover some innings just because you always need somebody who's a, a legit long inning guy. Shane Coral tends to be that guy, but he had been absolutely hammered against the Padres the day before. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I suppose if you kind of like you start putting those pieces together, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a little hard to look the other way, especially when this would be the second time this year that Tukey has been called on in the second innings, like, hey, kid, go ahead and get up and uh, just give us everything you got. And I, I, don't, I don't like the idea that they would have taken a matter that seemed already closed and opened it back up because now, in the instance that, you know, the, the Braves and the Marlins are division rivals. They've only played two series this year, I think. So that means they got 13 games left against each other. So now what are you going to do if Drew Steckenrider goes and throws at Acuna or even worse, Josh Donaldson, because you know that he's going to charge the mound with his back still in his hand. Um, Mullet you know, flying in the breeze. Yeah, like there's a capacity for so much to go wrong. So, but yeah, I mean, it did it did look kind of like that was what was going on going into, uh, going into Tukey getting called up and then immediately it happens and it's like you – blockhead why couldn't you just hit him don't don't try and disguise it you're gonna get suspended whether you throw whether you hit him or not so you might as well just you know let me let me explain this because that moment right there kind of tore apart twitter and made me realize just how many people uh i probably would not like to hang out with in real life um (laughs) (laughs) 
like yeah. people acting like it was a crime against humanity and Braves fans be like, I hope the Braves lose because of that. Um, you're, let's see, I think Jason Foster was one of those. Uh, your boy Cal Katera was probably one of those as well. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, it, it, which is so laughable uh, because anybody that's played any level of baseball beyond like little league, anybody that's been in, in higher stress situations like high school, college, whatever, when you get hit in certain places, of the body, it hurts differently. Gosman was aiming for the thigh or the butt. And let me tell you from experience that hurts a little bit like it, you know, it doesn't feel good. But no, it doesn't do any real damage. It just gives you a nice little bruise. Maybe if the guy's throwing like Gosman, he's pumping 95, it'll give you some seam prints, but nothing major. It's not like hitting somebody in the head. It's not like hitting somebody in the elbow or the ribs or the knee. It's a fleshy part of the body. And really, when people got upset about Gosman for actually not hitting him, the hitting the batter is actually not the point. It's the message behind it. Because everyone in that stadium knew exactly why that happened that message got sent of hey check yourself you're not going to do this again and jose urania was fine with it if you look when gosman gets tossed if you read jose urania's lips when um what was it uh bill nelson was that the umpire's name jeff nelson jeff nelson when jeff nelson tosses uh when jeff nelson walks out to go toss gosman you can see urania mouth no no it's fine you know why I said that? Because he knew exactly why it was happening. The entire Marlins staff knew what was happening. That's why they didn't retaliate and why none of them really got into it. That's why it was just kind of done and over with right there. That's why I don't think another set's happening. The only reason this happened today is because Don Mattingly protected Urania by waiting an extra day to start his appeal so that he wouldn't have to face the Braves again. I think that'll put the fear of God in him too because he did have that look on his face like, Oh, like like he'd been waiting for it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's just, just glad that it was over with, though. Staring at the guillotine, like when's the blade gonna fall? When's this gonna happen? And it, and it finally happened. You know what I mean? So he like he was able to uh, go out and and regroup. But you know, luckily, uh, despite the wishes of of some people, whether it be Foster or Craig Calcaterra, you gem of a human being, you. <laughs> Uh, you know, the Braves won that game. They took the uh, took the next one. You and I were actually standing right next to each other in my living room when Ozzy hit that home run on uh, on Saturday night. So that was uh, that was cool, man. That like that was like I alluded to. You look at the schedule and you say like, all right, we're gonna drop a lot of games against LA this year, but we're gonna beat the Marlins. We know we're gonna do that, and they they did what they were supposed to do. So. All things considered, pretty, pretty good series down in Miami. Uh, even even with the shenanigans. One. Kind of a weird series, though. The Braves did sweep, which they had to do. We both thought that they had to do it, especially considering this road trip. Uh, Ozzy hits, what was it, his fourth Grand Slam under the age of 23. That ties him with uh, Ted Williams and a bunch of other Hall of Famers as the only guys that have done. I think it's like four or five players total. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me. I'm, I apologize. If you guys want, you can ask Boggy. I'm sure he'll have it. Uh which that was awesome to see. Anytime you can see Ozzy with that pure home run swing, it's just incredible. And it was off Nick Anderson, who has been just an amazing find for them. But he grooved one to Ozzy, and he did not miss. Acuna went four for four in that game, which was really, really great to see. And then the next night, Max Freed was put in as a as a pinch runner with Acuna <laughs> on with Acuna on the bench. I might add, Max Freed is put in. For Josh Donaldson and scores from first base in what was the scariest base running of 
that I've ever seen in my life. When <laughs> when Ender hit that one in the corner and they showed Freed, you know, he's got the high socks on, right? So you can see like his legs are kicking so fast. And my first thought was, damn, no, no wonder they ran him as a pinch runner. He's really, really fast. And like and then he comes like stumbling around third and it looked like he was about to topple over. And like the head first slide and everything, like that was the most baller thing I have seen anybody do on a baseball field in a minute. Like no that lie, dude, I screamed though. When, I when, mean, when I saw was, him go face first and almost eat the shin guard of um, um, Chad Wallach, it was Chad Wallach or Jorge Alfaro. I think it was Wallach that game. It was Wallach, yeah. But when I saw him almost eat Wallach's shin guard, I let out this weird kind of like quasi scream yelp combination um because when he when he rounded third and he looked like he was tripping over his own feet like he was about to just eat it right there then you sign you see him dive head first i wanted to strangle ron washington when i saw ron washington wave max freed home i wanted to strangle him uh but you mentioned freed running fast he actually clocked in at 28.9 feet per second on his sprint speed to put that into perspective that is faster than every single player on the Braves except for Ronald Acuna, who had a 29.2 feet per second. That is, that's amazing. And, and the, the whole thing about pitchers being athletes, too, this is one of those things. Like, this isn't Bartolo taking <laughs> 19, 19 seconds to, to run around the bases on his home run or something. Like, this is somebody that is determined to go out there and get it. And I, I talked earlier about how Freed was able to avoid all these different injuries. He's been really lucky this year so far. Like that was him flirting with danger. And then the other night was almost like the universe saying, are you done? Right. Like, like, we hey, we can is, still hurt you. Right. This was your, this was your moment of, Hey, calm down, kid. Did like, did you see Josh Donaldson's face when Freed got back to the dugout? <laughs> yeah. His eyes were bigger than Matt Whistler's. Like it was, yeah. <laughs> if Freed had gotten hurt, I would have like, I would have, I would have gone after Ron Washington. I could not believe he, he waved him in now. On the flip side, I do got to ask, Ender Inciarte fake pulling back a bunt and swinging. Bush League or no? Love it. Do what you got. It's 10th inning, man. We're trying See, to win this game. We got to fly to the West Coast after this. I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry I had to deke it, but we, we got to win. We got to get gonna, out of here. I'm going to disagree with you. I think it's totally Bush League. I'm happy that it worked, obviously. Uh, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't have done it in the same position, but it is definitely Bush League. Because when you square like that and you have the third baseman come charging in like that, you pull that bat back. Let me tell you from experience, and I've never faced a major league hitter doing that, um, but facing college guys when they do that, there is an epic amount of puckering that happens when they pull that bat back and they go for a swing and you are charging in on the grass and, and you're, you've got no reaction time. That's a little Bush League. No, I, I can see that. Like I never, I, I stopped playing baseball at this point. It's been 26 years ago. So, so I don't really think about it kind of anything from the player perspective. Uh, but yeah, I can, I can see that being, being one of those moments where, um, you know, where your butthole kind of goes back up inside your body for a second. <laughs> yeah. That's but, where I've seen people get hit in the face on stuff like that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really good point, but seeing, yeah. There, there's really no way around it, but I will say <laughs> as long that, as it worked, I guess, because it's our guy that did it. I mean, I can't be too mad. Just the the player part of me, like that's that's you want to talk about unwritten rules. That is one of those unwritten rules. Like 
you don't pull the bat back and then swing. Like for a pitcher, maybe because chances are they're not going to connect anyway. But for an actual hitter to do that, I'm, that's one that I'm kind of shocked that the Marlins didn't get upset about. Like if I were the Marlins, that's the one that I would have been mad about. I suppose I can see it. But then again, it's Ender, so they might not have given, been giving him too much credit anyway. And for somebody with exit velocities that low, even getting a hit in the face wouldn't hurt that bad. Well, he's, he, he hit that one on the screws, man. Oh, he did. He did. And if he hadn't, then – and I kind of wondered too about when Wash was sending Freed home. Like that's in, that's in the left field corner. If that's in <laughs> yeah. the right field, then, then there's no doubt about it. But uh, once again, just speaks to uh, how fast – Max Freed is and how uh, how versatile he is and how how much he wants to win. That's what I took out of that whole thing was an Ender being Bush League or Washington being being too gregarious with sending everybody. It's just Max Freed is a freaking bulldog. That look on, on his face where he's just like, I don't care. I don't care if I get hurt. I want to win this one game. It's like, wow, those are the types of competitors that you want. That's that's what Acuna does. That's what Ozzy does. Like if Soroka, you know, Sork has got those big old legs. He's got, you know, it's like Austin Riley on the bottom half. You know what I mean? Like you just, you want that same thing out of all these guys to like just that killer instinct, you know? And Max Reed, he, he's got those, those cheekbones and that beautiful hair. That dude doesn't look like he's got the killer instinct, but he's got it. At, at all. And his hair didn't get messed up at all. But oh, it was beautiful. It was I, beautiful. I wonder also, I wonder if Wash forgot that it was Max Freed when he saw him running like that for a split second, thought it was an actual player and just kept waving. Maybe if you're running that fast, it don't matter who you are. It's so, five feet first. It's amazing that he was that fast. It looked so ungainly, but you figure with how long his legs are, the amount of strides he's taking, it was it was impressive. I just overall, I was just super excited that Max didn't get hurt. I liked that it worked, and then when I kind of processed for a little bit, I was like, "Oh no, Ender, you can't do that." But whatever, <laughs> Braves won. Braves swept that series, and then I think Karma got us back a little bit in this Dodger series. Um, we've been humbled a little bit, I'll say. The uh, getting Maddoxed by Hinchin Ryu, that kind of sucks. Uh, on the same day that Mike Fires throws a no-hitter, first pitcher to throw over 130 pitches, ironically, since Sean Newcomb did last year against the Dodgers, ironically enough. Um, so it all it, uh, see how we did that? We brought that all full circle at the end of this first segment. Love it. Uh, uh, now... We are going to talk some other stuff, so we're, we're going to hit a break soon, but when we come back, we're going to briefly touch on some minor league numbers before we finally break into some players from the MLB draft coming up next month. I don't know if it has an actual, I don't know if I've seen an actual date. I just know June. I would imagine it, it's around the 13th or the 15th or something like that, but when we come back from break, we're going to touch on that stuff along with some, some guys that you definitely need to have written down if you're looking to follow the MLB draft, so stick where you are. We will be right back on the Platinum Sombrero. Has the recent loss of a loved one hit you hard? Do you find yourself wishing they were still around without resorting to a Stephen King novel? Well, let us here at Borning and Taxidermy help you out. The industry leaders in human taxidermy, we offer a wide variety of poses to give your dearly departed the most lifelike appearance as possible. Choose from styles such as the Rapture, Penance and Sinner, Chastisement, Walker's Wind, and many, many more. No one can bring your loved ones back to life, but with Bornigan Taxidermy, you'll swear they're right there with you. Patent pending.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. The Platinum Sombrero found on TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, wherever it is, Twitter, Facebook, probably a few dozen others that I haven't really learned the name of yet. CastBox, Player FM, probably a a couple more that that are out on the, the ether in the interwebs. You can find us wherever it is. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're leaving a review. Let us know what you think of us. But before we get into that, I would like to say thank you to our partners at SeatGeek for helping to bring you the Platinum Sombrero each and every week. SeatGeek takes all of the questions, all of the guesswork out of buying an online ticket. SeatGeek has this cool algorithm where they actually grade the not just the seats that you buy, but actually the price point of the ticket. So if you see uh, a ticket in the... 112 section at a Braves game and somebody's charging you $85, whether that's a good price or not. SeatGeek will have that color coded so you instantly know whether or not that's a good price, a fair price, or a horrible price so you can steer clear. That's one of the things that SeatGeek does that sets them apart from everybody else. SeatGeek has another algorithm that they used to actually grade the seats to let you know what's a good seat and what is a bad seat. SeatGeek does all this to make sure that you have the best experience possible when you're buying online. It's almost like looking up and and buying from from the actual team site other than you get to see what other people have said about these seats. It makes it nice, easy. They've got an, an easy app to use as well, so you don't have to struggle to find it. And if you use our promo code ACAA, you're going to receive $20 off at the checkout. That's important because... $20 off, that essentially pays for your seat fee. You guys know I hate seat fees, so if you use our promo code ACAA, you have no excuse not to be using SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, so before the break, we mentioned that we were going to talk about the minor leagues, and then we're going to get into the draft. We're going to spend a little bit more in this segment on the draft, so when we get into the minor leagues, you probably know the three names we're going to hit, but we need to hit them anyway. I'm going to start off with my favorite one, Christian Pache. Doc Christian Pache has been on some sort of run this season. He really has. And some video leaked out of his most recent home run that he, uh, that he hit on Tuesday. I believe it was against Pensacola. Just such easy power. It is so difficult to make it look like you've got easy power playing in a place that's as big as Trustmark Park. And it's just nice and smooth. I have been kind of thinking about this. When he winds up getting the promotion to AAA, which will happen at some point this season, say sometime in the next two months or so, um, he's going to be playing with the major league ball. And for all of the home runs that have been happening in uh, in AAA, I think that's where you're really going to start to see the power surge out of Pache because he's still only got the three, which w- will break out to about, uh, say, 18 over the course of an entire season, 15, 18, somewhere around the course of the entire season, which is fine. But he's doing it everywhere he's got he's leading the southern league in triples and he, and he's got a ton of doubles as well he's starting to steal bases again which is something that was going against him last year and this is on top of the fact that he's he's been a world-class defender since he was a teenager so it, it's so exciting to to look at him and i know that that people have have said uh that there's a legit possibility that he winds up in the acuna tier or winds up being a better all-around player than acuna which is absurd to think about, but I mean, it's not all the realm of possibility. I mean, this kid is a stud. He's come a really, really long way. Still another base tonight. So he's got five steals the season. Played right field for whatever reason tonight. Connor Lean played center. Uh, 
went one for four tonight. And it's just a different looking Pache. When I, I talked about this on the Locked On show earlier on uh, on Wednesday, you guys are listening to this on Friday, but on, on Wednesday's episode of the Locked On Braves, I talked about Pache a little bit and just the the natural progressions he's made. He's always been bigger. Like the size is is not surprising. He was always projected to fill out that frame six two. I would tell you he's over two hundred pounds by now, and you can just see the muscle he's added over the last couple of years. The difference is now you're starting to see him stay on that back foot and actually get a an, an actual weight transfer instead of being out on his front foot so often. So he started to lift the ball more consistently, and that allows him to reach into that power. It allows him to use his frame and his, his natural size and strength to start lifting balls up. That was really the next progression for him. You can talk about the walk rate and that it's, you know, it's, it's not stupendous, but walk rate is something that I don't think the Braves really prioritize low down when, when they're working on somebody's swing mechanics. I think they want them to fix the swing mechanics first and then work on the walk rate. Similar to Ozzy Albies. You can see this year, he's really making it a habit to work counts. Whereas before he was kind of working to to really nail down his swing left-handed. And it didn't work out well at the end of the season last year, but you can see how well it's worked for him this year. And Pache, he, he's just got this insane amount of tools that if you can mold them together, even at 80% of that ceiling, you're talking about an all-star. You're talking about a guy that can give you 15 to 20 homers, a guy that can steal 20 bases, a guy that's going to be the best defensive center fielder in all of baseball, who also has an electric arm and and a very accurate arm as well. Now you're talking about if he actually reaches his full ceiling, you're talking about a guy that could be one of the top five players in all of baseball. When you look at his size, his speed, his just innate natural power and, and his defense to go along with it. That is a scary proposition. When you're talking about a guy that's 20 years old and still has braces. Yeah. And, and he also, you know, today he went, uh, went one for four, uh, the, the, the walkout, excuse me, the walk rate is at seven and a half percent right now, which is, which is not great. But when you're looking at the past couple of levels that he was at, uh, 3.9% when he was in Florida last year, 4.6 when he got promoted to Mississippi. So he's getting better at it and he may never be elite, but when, when you're a guy that can come out and you can, you can hit 300 and you can wind up doing damage when you do get on bases, then I, it's crazy. It's crazy to, to think about like how, how much he's starting to finally emerge into that profile, but that everybody has seen out of him for so long. And I, at this point, I like, I, like I said, I think it's only a matter of time before he winds up getting called up to Gwinnett sometime within the next two months. So that could hinge on somebody like uh, Duvall, whether, whether he winds up getting traded and that clears a spot in their outfield, or if they just decide, you know what, we're, we're sick of playing Rafael Ortega in center field. We think Pache is worthy of the challenge because they're, they're not particularly bashful about, about challenging these guys. And, you know, he's got a 920 OPS playing in a really, really hard league to hit in. So, and, and all of the peripherals back it up, you know, he's got the 229 ISO. He's got the 166 weighted runs created plus his Woba is 418. By the way, by like, the way, you should mention what is ISO and what is Woba for, for those that okay. are just tuning in that are new to the show. Okay. So ISO is strictly just the isolated power. You get it by subtracting uh, average from slugging percentage. It tells you when you're looking at um, for doubles, triples and home runs, how they contribute, how they feed into the slugging percentage. Uh, what you're actually getting out of that. So it basically tells you how good your your given power is at any any given level. Essentially, and we about essentially his, but I, I would say essentially what it's telling you is the value of the hits that you're getting. 
there you go. There you go. And and WOBA is actually kind of a similar. It's a different formula, but it's a similar idea where you're looking at it. It's kind of like the love child between average and on base percentage and slugging. Like it essentially reweights what what a single means and what a double means and how it feeds into these things. Um, so something like 418 is is fantastic, and he's got. Uh, let's see, eight doubles, four triples, three home runs. And so that all, that all starts to swirl into numbers like a two, 229 ISO, where previous levels for Pache, 0. 0.070, 0. 0.094, 0. 0.062. Uh, last year was when you finally start to see the power step forward. His ISO when he was in Florida was 0. 0.146. So now it's 0. 0.229. And it's like it's going up and up and up. So it's not just that he's putting balls over the fence. It's the doubles. It's the triples. It's the fact that he's becoming well-rounded with that. So, and I think that's the important thing right there. It's not just the homers. It's the fact that he's he's so fast that doubles and triples are, are big things. It's a little bit like Ozzy when you're judging his when you're judging his offense. I know Ozzy hit 20 homers in the first half a year ago. I think we all know that that was a little more than Ozzy probably should be expected to hit. He's not Christian Yelich, who already has 16 home runs, by the way. Um, Pache is a guy that's going to live off doubles and triples, and he he's big and strong enough to run into fifteen to twenty a year, maybe a little bit more in his peak years. But for the most part, it's going to be those doubles and triples, and that's that's what makes a guy that's what makes a guy a more valuable offensive piece. When when people say like the term he's a great hitter, there's a difference, and you'll hear me use this a lot. There's a difference between being a great hitter and being a and being a great offensive player like offensive player has more to do with with how weighted your actual hits are so like how should i put this um let's say the difference between let's just pull let's say the difference between ichiro and barry bonds regardless of the steroids so let's say ichiro and king griffey jr so that way i can i can do away with the steroid example ichiro Ichiro, one of the best pure hitters of all time. Tony Gwynn and King Griffey Jr. if you want. Tony Gwynn, one of the best pure hitters of all time. King Griffey Jr., a better offensive player because his hits mattered more. Because they drove in more runs because there was more damage done with King Griffey Jr.'s. Because they were doubles, triples, and an S-ton of home runs. Because those tend to matter a little bit more than guys that hit a ton of singles. That's why a guy that hits a lot of singles always has to carry a higher average to give you the same value of a guy that will give you doubles and homers but will will strike out or get out more often. That's why you see when people talk about the three true outcomes in today's baseball, that's why things have kind of shifted towards that as more average players have tried to sacrifice some of the average to provide more overall value in what they contribute. Guys like Daniel Robertson um, who found a big power surge by – by trying the the newer styles of hitting guys like Derek Dietrich uh, who hit a ton of doubles and home runs, but don't traditionally hit the ball very well. Anyway, it's like the difference between what what's better hitting 260 and hitting 25 homers or hitting 290 and hitting 12. Obviously the one when you hit 25 homers, you're providing a little bit more value not to get too bogged down on that. Uh, I, I, I got to move on from that or I'm going to keep going into that. But it's not just it's not just Christian Pache, by the way. It's not even just Christian Pache and his own team. Drew Waters is is absolutely lighting it up as well. He went three for five today. Uh, two doubles off of Brewstar Grotterol, who, by the way, is an electric arm. 
one of my absolute favorite arms to watch in the minors, a guy who is going to be absolutely dominant for the Twins should they remain and hold on to him, which I figure they will. Uh, hitting two doubles off of him is, is not a small deal. Brewster's a guy that can touch 98 to 100. Uh, and Drew Waters is just mashing doubles. Brings his OPS up to 931. He's hitting 349 right now. He's got three homers as well. Uh, 12 ribbies, I think. But he scored 21 runs. Uh, and, and to have Drew Waters hitting at the top of that lineup and Pache right behind him, Imagine that in Atlanta, if that sticks the same, both of those guys are top of the order type of bats. Talk about Drew Waters, who is a switch hitter, which means he's going to profile either as a leadoff or a number two. You talk about having those three plus Ozzy, plus Dansby, plus Camargo at some point, plus Austin Riley, plus Freddie Freeman. Just picture that lineup two years, two, three years into their development. I will say this about Waters. Uh, First off, uh, he also hit a walk-off home run uh, last night as well. Um, some of what's going on with waters and you you can never be too sure with, with, um, batting average on balls in play for the minor league guys, because we don't have access to the same information that we do for the big league guys. So where you can start looking at a hard hit contact, because it's not, it's not always luck based sometimes. Absolutely. But, but not always like if you're tattooing the ball, then, then your Babbitt might wind up being higher. But as it sits right now, drew waters, Babbitt is four sixty nine, And that's, (laughs) And that's without uh, going three for four on, on balls in play today. So that so his Babbitt, we'll say it's sitting at 475. Um, every level that he's been at for the Braves, the, the lowest Babbitt that he has had is 362, which is still high. So obviously there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of talent here. I mean, there's so much to like about this kid. And I think the same thing is true for him as it is for Pache. Like you get him in triple a and the kid's going to wind up hitting 10 home runs in his first month. I mean, he's crazy legit, but some of this, he might be playing a little bit over his head, but I mean, there's a ton to like right now. He's lead leading the Southern league in a lot of different categories uh, coming into the game. His, uh, his Woba, we just talked about Pache being 418. waters is 414. Pache's weighted runs created plus is 162, uh, excuse me, 166 waters is 162. I mean, they're, the isolated power for waters is 190. I said last week, they're having very, very similar seasons. They're still striking out a little more than you want to see and not walking as much. But for a kid who is 20 years old and has been playing an affiliated ball for not even two years. I mean, this is about the best possible scenario. Not only that, this is, this is drew waters who completely reworked his right-handed swing this off season and in one offseason, he's now hitting better as a right-handed hitter than as a left-handed hitter, which was the complete opposite of the case when he was drafted. When he was drafted, the question was, would he be able to remain a switch hitter? Because he was not doing very well from the from the right side of the plate, kind of like the reverse of Ozzy. Now, he's actually better as a righty than he is as a lefty. So all the talent in the world, another five-tool guy. He's not going to ever have the same defense or arm as Pache. Uh, he's not quite as fast as Acuna. Or really, Pache, he's kind of his his tools are slightly lesser than the other two, but he's yet another guy who you can envision going twenty twenty uh, and play really good defense and and play while he might be the third wheel here, except for a couple years. His upside is just as high as Pache's and Acuna's. Well, I'm, maybe a touch under. I'll say a touch under theirs, but still a lot higher than nearly everybody else's in the league. When you're comparing him, for instance, I'll compare him and Victor Robles. Robles might be a touch faster, but Drew Waters has better all-around tools than Victor Robles. 
I'll agree. And Robles was at the at the top of those prospect lists for a really long time. And you're starting to see, you know, Pache has been he's been pretty aggressively ranked by some some outlets. I think Fangrass had him at like 18. But but you also will see Waters is starting to to creep up in some of these lists as well. I think he's in the 80s for Baseball America, but I think Fangrass had him in the back of their top 40. So just because they're not there yet, I think that that these developments, if they if they keep up, you're absolutely going to see both of those guys start uh, jumping in the teams on, on all of these outlets. I mean, and even guys like Soroka and Ozzy and Kyle Wright, even though we, we haven't really seen him live up to the hype yet, these guys were in that 15 to 25 range. Like Acuna being number one overall, Danzer being number four overall, that stuff is nice and everything, but there's still plenty, plenty of chances to contribute, even if you're just kind of like, on the back end of those lists, you're still, it's still top hundred, you know, once they start breaking out like top 900 lists and everything, <laughs> if you're falling in the back end of that, it's like, Ooh, there's Jeffrey Ramos. He's the oh, 900. You're, uh, you're in the Tim Tebow range. Yeah. It's like, this guy's the 900th best player in minor league baseball. Like, Oh, fantastic. So, but yeah, there, there's plenty of room to contribute. Even if you're, even if you're not like a top 10 guy. So, uh, the, Pache Waters Acuna offense, like I'm not going to start throwing ever around, especially as it pertains to prospects. But having that's 15 tools in your outfield. That is, that's in recent years, you haven't seen a ton of that. Like you're looking at the Red Sox outfield, you know, and I, man, that's crazy. That's it's crazy. But there was another prospect who is actually getting his first start in left field. Uh, I'm not in spring training that I that I think he's ever had, and that is Austin Riley. Does this complicate plans for you at all? I actually think it helps the plans. I talked about this on a show maybe a week or two back. I'd wondered if they would start to to work with Riley in the outfield a little bit more to make him a little bit more versatile in order to uh, to keep him up on the big league roster a little bit longer, especially as it pertains to if if Josh Donaldson were to get hurt, would Camargo slide in at third and Riley would, would move around or would Riley start at third and Camargo retain his super utility slot? Any amount of work that Austin Riley can do in a corner outfield does nothing but help him. He can already play first a little bit. We know he can play third. He played a little bit of the corners in spring training for like one or two starts. Didn't look bad. He actually looked a little bit better than Camargo early on in the outfield. Um, he's athletic enough to do it and he's got the bat for it. So anything he can do to keep himself on the big league club is, is what they're going to need Austin to do. So I'm excited that they got him a start in the outfield tonight. Um, I hope that this isn't just a one-off, that it is something they continue to do because you talk about a team that you're, you're kind of going to run out of spots to put all these guys. It's almost like the Cubs model a little bit where cross-train guys at a ton of different positions. So you can give everybody days off pretty much every night and you can kind of shake up the defensive positioning the one thing I'll say is you are going to have to be careful that you don't run into it. Cause you can look at Camargo this year and you can see his defense is not as on point as it was a year ago because he's splitting so much time learning every other position as well. I've kind of wondered about that as, as well. Like what the, the impact is of that. And a lot of the time, if you're just going to put somebody in the outfield, you can kind of get away with that more than you can. like just jamming somebody at third base. And routine, routine, routine. Baseball players are, are just incredibly regimented about the, the way they go about things. So if you get used to seeing seeing the ball coming at you at one speed at third, and then you have to move over to second, and then now next thing you know, you're playing left field. And then 
And then even moving to right field, especially in SunTrust, where you've got the bricks to, to consider and playing the carom and everything. Say what you will about Nick Markakis, the dude is a master at playing a ball off the bricks. That is probably the most valuable thing he brings to the Braves. He is, and you guys know I'm not the biggest Markakis guy. I thought it was good for a one-year signing, but him playing off the bricks is something that you don't see. That takes a, a lot of experience, and it takes a lot of times of having somebody hit that off the bricks for you. Yeah, he he knows he knows how to do it, but, but that's because he's been playing playing right field over there ever since the building opened. And Camargo, who was a middle infielder for the longest time, and then moved over to third, and now he's like play, <laughs> playing right field once every couple of weeks. You know, the the capacity for disaster arises, and when you've got an entire team that is kind of playing out of position, you know, that you can run into some real danger there. But you bring up a really good point about Riley's versatility, and and his his number one position is batter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether whether he winds up in left field or third or, or backing up Freddie or or whatever, I think that uh, he's done enough to now he's hitting three hundred three seventy three six thirty three ten home runs in the first thirty one games. Yeah. By like, the way, I got his numbers for his last two weeks: three eighty nine, four fifty nine, sixty three. Eight homers, fifteen extra base hits, twenty-one ribbies, scored seventeen runs off of a three seventeen BABIP, actually lower than Austin Riley usually posts, and a twenty point nine strikeout percentage, the lowest of his career. You you said nine sixty three. That's his slugging. That's not his OPS. <laughs> that's, his that's, slugging. that's his slugging. That's yeah. I mean, he's been he him and Adam Duvall in the middle of that lineup. What a nightmare. You know, because Duvall was has, was having his own his own thing going on too. So so Riley's done what he needs to do, and his walk rate is at ten point four percent, which is the, is the highest of his career. You know, like he had a um, yeah, when he was in rookie ball, he was at ten point seven. So he's striking out less than ever. He's walking more than ever. He's hitting as many. I mean, he's doing everything that you want to see out of him. And it's now, the strikeouts, you, by the way. It's the strikeouts that are the most important thing because. Riley's a guy who who previously has had a lot of trouble dealing with high-velocity guys, the 95 and up. Unfortunately, everybody in the major leagues throws 95 and higher. So if you've got a, if you've got a hole in your swing where you get a little too long and velocity hurts you, then it's, it doesn't tend to, to portend to good traits in the majors. Well, Austin has, has been working on it, and he's kind of switched his hands up a little bit, and he has not been striking out. That's why I think that 20.9% K – Percentage. I think that's the most impressive number to me because I've already known that he's got a ton of power. Uh, I, I've already known that he's athletic enough to to hit a ton of doubles. Doesn't take a lot to get a double. If you can hit a home run, you can hit a double. We've known that his defense has gotten much better, but I think it's the strikeouts because that's what I think can allow Austin Riley to really reach what we hope he could be, and it's what allows me to see a lot of Troy Gloss in him, and not Atlanta Braves Troy Gloss. Angels Troy Gloss, but Troy Gloss was one of the most consistent and more underrated third baseman in all of baseball. And the Scott Rowland comp that, that comes with Riley, I think, is, is very well founded, founded as well. Uh, let, let's calm down a minute no, before we throw that, Rowland that, out. No, Rowland Ro- so was, uh, was a different level defensively. I don't think Riley has gotten really good defense or gotten good defensively. Um, I don't think he'll ever be a natural defensively the same way that like guys like Eric Chavez or Scott Rowland were like that. That's a different level of defense. 
where even if you want to pick apart like range and things like that, there's li- there's little differences when you watch those guys play defense and a guy like Troy Gloss, who was a good defender at third base. Um, David Wright, a good defender at third base, but not anybody that like you wouldn't look at them and think that that was Matt Chapman playing defense. Fair enough. So I'm I may have I may have overstepped on the Scott Rowland thing a little bit. Offensively, me, I think he can be better than Rowland. Well, let, let me say this: somebody who's putting up Riley's level of numbers right now with with the fact that he's he's got that plate discipline, even even with the small sample size of, of 31 games, 134 plate appearances, um, with the lower strikeouts, with the higher walks, with that power, with that defense, and like he just that. Mm, it's a hard hard road to contention with some of these guys when you're looking at like Arenado and stuff. Austin Riley could be an all star. Like all all of the guys that we've talked about in the the minor league segment, and I know that we said we we're going to talk some draft too, but like all all of the guys that we talked about in this segment, these are all potential future all stars. And not the but, only potential all stars we have. Just the three that we think are closest to the team right now. Yeah. So. For all of the talk about, you know, why do the Braves add so many pitchers? Braves need position players. I mean, they they had position players all along. So I'm gonna I'm gonna laugh. I'm gonna laugh heartily, but kind of sadly, if the of the Braves rebuild, the the category of player that winds up being most successful is position players and not pitchers. Yeah, you know, that would uh, that be a bad look when you stockpile like thirty five arms. Yeah. So but they, they did really well. But it will be interesting to to see kind of where they wind up going this year, because for as deep as they've gone on the arms, we're looking at a brand new scouting director. We're looking at a brand new methodology here. So this could be usually like in previous years, you could look at it and say, okay, well, the birds are going to take a picture with their highest pick and that's probably going to wind up. Okay. So, but now you don't, you don't exactly know. Plus it's just not a good year for pitching. So I don't know. Let's let's dive in. Let's let's talk some draft. What do you say? Let's let's talk some draft. I'm glad you brought it up. And it, it is you mentioned in passing that's a different scouting director. Dana Brown is now the uh, the scouting director. I'm not super familiar with his drafts, so I'm not super familiar if he leans pitcher or position player, whether he leans high school or college. Um, I think the Braves would be more likely to lean college in this draft if for no other reason than to get guys who are immediately ready to step into the lower minors and kind of fill those spots that you lost in the international sanctions. Uh, That and I think the college players are are just better this year in general than they are in most drafts, or maybe the high school players are not quite as good in general as they are in some other drafts. You've got your guys at the top like Bobby Witt Jr., uh, who's not going to be there at nine. You've got uh, guys like C.J. Abrams, who I'm not a huge fan of personally. Um you got Riley Green that a lot of people are high on. Uh, but there's there's a few different ways they could go, and it doesn't seem like they have a ton of money for having an extra pick this year. What is it, eleven point six million that they have? Roundabout. So we'll say we'll call it eleven and a half million with that extra first round pick. Things could get a little bit dicey. If I were a betting man, I would imagine you'll see them go under slot with the nine, the number nine pick, maybe with the number twenty-one as well, just to ensure they can sign everybody. But as as far as names to know, the first one, if you're if you're into the the draft at all or college baseball at all, the number one name should not be a surprise: Hunter Bishop out of Arizona State. Now, Hunter Bishop, for, we're we're in mock draft season, which is um, 
it's like Christmas for me. You know, I need to get like one of those little advent calendars, you know what I mean? Where it's like you open it up and there's a brand new mock draft every day. Um, and, and it's not so much the fact that like different players are being mocked in different teams. It's like, we're in the time of year where you start to see, uh, connections between teams and say, Oh, so-and-so was scouting this player or they had higher ups at, you know, the, the blue Jays are rolling deep at Corbin Carroll's starts or something like that. Everything that I can tell from, this is from multiple uh, different outlets is that the Braves are all over Hunter Bishop. They really, really like him. He's another five tool or a four and a half tool outfielder, uh, gigantic power. He's got 21 home runs right now, which is uh, among the leaders in college baseball and he is, he's playing out at Arizona State. So he's playing in the Pac-12 against UCLA, uh, who I'm not sure if they're still ranked number one, but I know they were for a very long time. Oregon State, which is where Adley Rushman plays. Uh, Cal, which is where Andrew Vaughn plays. There's some really, really strong talent in the Pac-12. And he's finally shown up. He was a, a really toolsy guy, real kind of tool shed coming out of high school. But he didn't he wasn't able to put everything together and kind of toiled a little bit his first few years at ASU. But now he's stepped ahead in every single category, strikeouts down, walks up, percentage of extra base hits has gone up. Um, could be a very logical, logical guy at the nine slot. I hope he's still there. I hope he didn't play himself out of the Braves range and wind up getting drafted uh, seventh by the Reds or, or eighth by the Rangers or something. Now, he's also a guy that if you put his tape side by side, he looks an awful lot like Christian Yelich, where he kind of dips down and comes back up before he swings, which makes me worry that there could be timing issues, at least to start. But you talk about a guy that's 6'5", 210. The power is absolutely real. Good defender as well. Good speed. I don't know if he's a blazer, but but good speed, good all-around game. And a guy that really, if this isn't some type of mirage, and we'll, we'll get a better idea in the wooden bats but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be a mirage. It looks like ever since Arizona State got a new coach a couple years back that it's really helped Hunter take off. Uh, and he's, he's a guy that you're right. Everybody's talking about him in Braves country uh, with, with good reason. I think he if he's there at nine, I think the Braves would be hard-pressed not to take him. A uh, couple other guys, one of my personal favorites, Logan Davidson, the shortstop out of Clemson. Uh, a huge shortstop, 6'3", 190, 195 pounds, still has, and he still has some filling out to do. Like he's, not, uh, he's not maxed out body-wise. Guy that plays really, really good defense, switch hitter that has a really beautiful swing, can get kind of long sometimes, but he's got big-time power. He's got good speed. He does not the, – the hit tool makes some people wonder because he doesn't – he hasn't hit well with wood so far. After what Seth Beer's been doing, that doesn't worry me anymore. Not really any of the Clemson players tend to hit with Wood very well. I tend to think that's more something to do with their hitting coach and their particular hitting style. I'm a huge fan of Logan Davidson. And he, he's projected to stay at uh, at short. At, the thing about Wood Bats, the, the Seth Beer comparison is a really good one because they're from the same school. That was the biggest knock on Beer was was that you know when he hit the first half of his freshman year like if the if the 2018 draft had been right then then he would have gone first overall it's the same thing with jj schwarz the florida catcher a couple years ago because the dude shows up and just absolutely went crazy but once you start looking at, at other wood bat leagues like the cape cod league is the most most famous of all of them it can be a good indicator of, of how guys are going to transition into the next level but yeah beer has been playing for the astros he's and he's fine there, there haven't been any lingering effects then there's nothing to say that he will or will not become a a very prolific major leaguer, but the talent is obviously there. And it's, it's similar for Davidson too. 
and for the the composite that I built out for anybody who has not seen this absolutely massive spreadsheet, uh, this total overload of, of numbers uh, that, that I have uh, tweeted out in the last week or so, Davidson is ranked 22. So this is kind of right in that range where he could wind up going. Now, as far as Braves' presence at Clemson Games, I can't speak to that at all. But I think that would be a really good pick. And, and anybody who's wondering about um, drafting a middle infielder or uh, we were just talking about Bishop drafting an outfielder, uh, when why would you do that when you've got Acuna Pache Waters? Well, you know, why would you wind up drafting Logan Davidson when you've got Dansby and, and Ozzie Aldis? You know, this particular farm system is great, but it's also it's a long road. Things happen on the way. Uh, injuries happen to prospects and to big league guys. Sometimes, you know, you need to just kind of draft as many great players as you can, and then you just sort out the logistics later, whether they're trade chips or you're somebody like Austin Riley who is learning a new position or something like that. Having way too many good players and not enough places to play them, that's actually a really good problem to have. So um, you like never draft model. For- it's what the Astros tend to do. Just take the guy that is, is the most talented player at that spot or the guy that you think is the most talented player. doesn't matter if he's an outfielder. You can find a position for him or you can find another team to fill in a hole that you may get later on down the road. Absolutely. And there's nothing saying that Hunter Bishop's going to wind up playing second base or Logan Davidson's going to catch. But, you know, we talk, talk about versatility. We talk about the ability to play multiple positions. And let's say that, that Logan, or Logan Davidson winds up getting drafted. I mean, he's going to start in Rome, maybe, or Florida. I mean, that's still several steps away but before we have to worry about, about anything like that. So uh, there would be plenty of time for him to uh, transition to a new position or learn whatever he needs to do. So um, I really do I really do like those picks. I know, I know that uh, Davidson had been a guy that, that you were looking at for, for quite a while. Uh, going back to the, that top pick, there's, this, there's a guy by the name of Alec Manoa who I saw mocked to the Braves in the, the perfect game mock Nathan Rohde, who, if you're not following him, Nathan Rohde is kind of the man. Um, and he had mocked Manoa to the Braves. And Alec Manoa is an absolute giant. He is just a, a mountain of a dude. He's like 6'7", 280 pounds. And I, he's the type of guy, when you look at somebody like Durbin Feltman last year out of TCU, Feltman is like knocking on the door of being of contributing right now. Manoa is the type of guy you don't want to like fast track him because he's got a full season that he's pitching right now for West Virginia. But this is the type of guy that you can legitimately see in the Braves bullpen like real soon. And maybe he sticks as a starter, but this guy, he is an absolute strikeout artist. You know, he's striking out like 13, 14 per nine. He is super legit. He's he can touch 98, but he he has worked in the bullpen before. So you keep him as a starter as long as you want, but this guy could be a really good shot to wind up being slightly under slot at nine, saving a little bit of money for 21, regardless of whether or not they, they wind up pushing some of that money down to 60. So they, they kind of take a little bit wider scope. They don't go as high upside like they did in 2017. So I, I really like Manoa in that spot. He's kind of right in the range. He's 11th on the composite for right now. Um, he's got the frame for it. You know, sometimes you look at somebody like Ian Anderson and you say, that guy is very slight. He is really, really lean and he needs to bulk up. Well, Manoa, he's like, take Luis Gahara and tack five inches on top of him. That's just a huge man. Yeah, no, he, he is a big old boy out there at West Virginia and he's absolutely killing it. Uh, another guy that, that 
I think the Braves would would find if Dana Brown is anything like Brian Bridges would be very hard. And if Brian Bridges were still here, that I think this would be one of the two picks. Nick Lodolo out of TCU, uh, a guy that came into TCU with just incredible stuff. Like his his pure stuff might be the best in the college pitching ranks aside from guys like Emerson Hancock, who you'll see next year. But that's just because Emerson is a lefty that throws 100 and is 6'5 and like 220 pounds. Uh, but Nick Lodolo is a guy, I believe he's a lefty as well, tops out in the upper 90s, has a really good breaker as well, has a good changeup, doesn't always have – he doesn't. the thing with Lodolo is he's never really gotten the results that you expect from an arm like that until this season. This season he's really started to put it together. And Lodolo's a guy that knows how to throw. I believe he was uh, he was a guy that was a first or second round pick out of high school and, and for whatever reason didn't sign, if I have that correct. That's right. That's right. Uh, and he, he's a guy that has, has been on everybody's radar for the last two and a half years. People have been expecting him to do a lot better, but this year he's got a 234 ERA. He's got 89 strikeouts in 77 innings, uh, only 16 walks, and that's the big thing. He's, he's a guy that he can do a lot of things. At 6'6", 185, he's a little slight, but you can see a lot of projection in that frame. You see a lot of ways that you can add strength to that frame, and maybe that'll even take him up an extra tick. He throws about 95 to 97 right now. Uh, I don't know if that's topped out. I don't know if he can maintain that as a starter, but he's a guy that you see that if you can unlock that potential that's there, that's a guy that was a, a top half of the first round type of talent coming out of high school. So I, if Dana Brown is anything like Brian Bridges, I think that's a very hard guy to pass. You know, I remember when we had Brian on, when we we talked, we were kind of looking forward, not saying, so who do you have your eye on? Because, I mean, the, dra- the draft had just ended. But he specifically brought up Lodolo. Uh, and he was talking in reference to the fact that he, that he had been drafted before and guys like that who you, you kind of gamble on the upside. Um, you never know what they can turn into. And that's always stuck with me, especially now the fact that, that Brian is, um, I think he's a cross-checker for San Francisco. And San Francisco picks right after the Braves do. So to me, if Nick Lodolo is still available at 10, he's going to be a San Francisco giant, and we technically will have broken that news last July. Totally on accident. But a lot of the time, you see guys like this who will get drafted. He got drafted 41st by the Pirates in 2016, and he didn't sign. And a lot of it's like you saw last year with Carter Stewart. Guys will get drafted, they'll opt to not sign, and then they can't recover the value. Something happens, whether it's an injury or performance backs up or whatever it is. And Lodolo is actually, some of it is the fact that he's getting results this year, and some of it is the fact that this is a horrible class for college pitching. Outside of like the very like the three maybe four top guys, Lodolo, Manoa, Jackson Rutledge, and Zach Thompson, this Lodolo looks like he's going to wind up being the exception to the rule where he winds up getting drafted higher a, co- a couple years um, a couple years later, and he could he could absolutely be an option for the Braves being being a lefty, being a college guy, and and not too far uh, out from being in the show. You can see him uh, 2021, perhaps. So really solid, like you said, really starting to get the results. Pits the same amount of innings uh, this year as he did last year, and he's walked 12 less guys and allowed 20 less hits. He's got a sub-one whip. These are the types of things that, that you definitely want to see. It uh, comes, from a, like comes from a really good program as well. TCU does a really great job with their pitchers. They do. They absolutely do. And uh, I was just talking about Durbin Feltman a second ago, and he was basically pro ready by the time he he came out of the draft. So, and outside of outside of Manoa and 
Lodolo, you're not going to see a ton of guys that are really going to be in consideration as far as pitchers go. This this is a good year to grab a college bat. And and the past past couple of years, like 2018, was such a weird draft because it was so many college players, but it was mainly like a depth draft. And 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 I I mean that in the the most respectful possible way because I know that. Nolan Kingham and Trey Harris and and a, and a bunch of 2018 draftees are listening right now, but uh, you know, you talked about filling up the lower levels of the minors. I figured that they were going to go young last year and start like trying to get a bunch of 17 year old high school guys that that really that could be bought out of their college commitments. You put them in extended. You keep them in Danville for as long as you can. You kind of fill the pipeline from the back end and let everything filter in instead of just kind of gradually trickling down. But because of the fact that they've got Dana Brown, who's got a completely different methodology, and this is Anthopolis's first draft with his guy, then I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know what direction that that they're really going to find themselves going in. I could see the same thing I thought last year happening, or they could wind up just taking a bunch of college guys again. And putting them behind the Nolan Kinghams and the Trey Harris's and and the Logan Brown and everybody. I mean, there's a couple high school guys that, if you're looking for the Braves to go young, would make a lot of sense. First one is Daniel Espino, a guy that can throw 100 mile an hour, uh, smaller frame, has kind of a violent delivery. Has seen the stock fall in recent weeks, but at the start of the year, he looked like a dead shoe in to be the first high school arm taken. Um, a guy that that's from not not too far away. We've seen a few of our few of our our friends and colleagues have seen him a fair number of times. Have been able to give us a little bit of lowdown on him, and also Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty's the one that I want to get your thoughts on because you said in the pre-show, and I've heard this before as well, that there's a lot of Nolan Gorman to him. There is a lot of Nolan Gorman, and uh, I don't. <laughs> When I look at old drafts and I see like, oh, well, so many teams passed on Trout or so many teams passed on this guy or that guy. And and someone had mentioned to me the other day, like, what if the Braves had taken Walker Bueller in 2015 instead of Colby Allard? Well, yeah, now you know that. But at the time, Allard was a 1-1 candidate who had fallen and Bueller was coming off of Tommy John. It's it's. I don't often lust after players that wind up getting drafted because circumstances change. Things are different. Things work out the way they're supposed to work out. But as it pertains to Nolan Gorman, I kind of there were a lot of people last year that watched um, 90 seconds of video and read one scouting report and said, oh, I don't want I don't want to draft Nolan Gorman because he's going to strike out too much. By the way, and, you remember the first you remember one of the first people that told you the Braves should draft Nolan Gorman? <sighs> I'm getting the feeling it was you in our first MLB draft show. <laughs> well, good on you. You you call that one proper because, I mean, he. That two kid is looking like a stud. He he is really, really looking strong. And that's the like the only time when I look back, and it doesn't even have anything to do with the, the fact that the Braves didn't sign Carter Stewart. You just look at Gorman and you're like, my God, that kid is a stud. But now you look at it and it's Brett Beatty, who is a, a left-handed hitting uh, third baseman out of Texas. He's actually, he's old for the class. He's 19 and a half, but it's different different front offices have have different perspectives on on what that means for draft eligible players and i've seen nolan gorman as one name that Beatty has been caught to and the other one that i have seen is actually austin riley big bodied huge power moves surprisingly well at third base um and an opportunity to be a plus defender over there so for me 
at 21, if the age thing doesn't bother the Braves at all, I would be all about getting Brett Beatty. And that's one I talked about Nathan Rohde. He's, he's been talking about Beatty for ever since draft season even started. Like some of these guys are, they're far off the radar because they're, they're young or they're too raw or something like that. This is a name that's been hanging around for a minute. So if he's there at 21, get him. All right, a couple more before we go, and it's two more college names. One from right around here. One is a name that everybody's been hearing all year. And then I'm, we're going to start with him. Cameron Meisner. He's a guy that uh, he was high on my radar early in the season. It's hard to tell with him, though, because he did have some steep drop-offs. Now he's he plays with Missouri, and he is by far the most talented player on that team. So it's hard to tell if his numbers are suffering because he's not getting much to hit or if some guys are starting to figure him out. No, he's in the SEC. He's facing a ton of really good pitchers day in and day out. But Meisner's a guy that he's a lot like – I would call him a more athletic version of Grayson Janista. I don't know if he has quite the same raw power, but he's definitely got size for that type of raw power at 6'5 and about 225 pounds. He's a fast guy. Uh, could stay in center. He wouldn't in the Brave system, but is a guy that in a, in a different system could stay in center field. Uh, Meisner is definitely a guy that uh, I, I know you you like a lot as well. What can you tell the listeners about Meisner? Meisner is a really good example of somebody who's got big tools, but he's just having trouble producing. You bring up a really interesting point about him playing at Missouri and why why pitch to him if you don't have to. Um, so far this season, 293, 454, 508, which is respectable, but not it's not what you want to see out of a guy that you're going to wind up spending your, your nine or even necessarily your 21st pick over. It's uh, playing in the SEC, so it's obviously going to be one of the strongest conferences in baseball. He's got the 10 home runs. He does have 19 stolen bases, which which is really interesting. So he's he can be a real power-speed combo. The 10 home runs came in, in 50 games. So if you could see a scenario where any number of teams would, would want to gamble on that package of tools, because he you're right, he, he does have the speed to stay at center. He's got the instinct. Probably, probably move into a corner, just especially if it was going to wind up being this outfield. But he could. You, it's not. It's not like putting um, putting Nick Marquez in center field. Love Marquez, not a center field. Be a little bit like when Adam Jones played center. I mean, if you get the job done, as long as you stand there and you know you, uh, if, as long as you make the plays you're supposed to make, that's fine. Like outs are outs, and route efficiency is, you know, that's kind of one of those a little more where I like all the advanced stats, but that's one of them going. Did we really need that one? Right, like, did uh, you make the play or not? That's really. I don't care if it if it was harder for you to make the play than somebody else if you make the play. Right, I, that that's one where the eye test beats the statistic definitely. But but as it pertains to Miser, certainly not a bad player, just hasn't come out and dominated as much as you would want to expect. And in a year full of where you've got a bunch of different uh, college bats, I mean, he's probably going to be hanging or hanging around right there at twenty one. I think he he's played himself out. Of the of the conversation at nine could could be there at twenty one though won't be there at sixty so if you like him pop well, him hope you hope you can get him under slot well to say his, is it fair to say that his year this year has been reminiscent to Grayson Janista's year a season ago maybe he might have that kind of draftitis where he knows that uh, that people are paying attention and he well, knows Janista he as knows a junior he, or Janista as a sophomore I guess was much better than Janista as a junior correct. Or Janista in 2017 was a lot better than Janista in 2018 as far as putting everything together, if I'm not mistaken. No, that's right. And and he was the MVP of the Cape Cod League, uh, Grayson was. So, see, th- this is what I do when I don't actually know how to pronounce somebody's last name. I just take the easiest name. 
so, so yeah, he's, I think that is, it's probably a pretty decent comp between those two, both lefty hitters. And yeah, he, Meisner certainly moves better than, than Grayson does, but, but we'll see. I, I think that, uh, there's a possibility there. I think he'd be the playing, least likely, by the way, of the guys that we've talked about. I think he would be the least likely for the Braves to grab right now. Uh, but we are rapidly running out of time. I got one more name, and it's a guy very close to home. Kyle McCann, the catcher for Georgia Tech, just keeps hitting bombs. 19 homers on the season, an OPS up over 1,000. Really bad defensive catcher. He is what we would call a DH, and his backup position is DH, and his backup backup position is first base or catcher. When the NL adopts the the DH rule, and it will happen soon, I would imagine it will be within the next two years, but it could be up to three years. If you're talking about a bat like Kyle McCann, you're talking about a guy that can absolutely rake with the best in, in college baseball right now. Uh, he is a true fearsome presence in that revitalized Georgia Tech baseball team. And he's a guy that hits absolute moonshots. When when Georgia Tech played Georgia at SunTrust Park, Kyle McCann just looks the part of a major league player. The question is, would the Braves roll the dice on McCann in the first round, probably at 21, because he's not a guy that's going to make it to 60. Somebody in the AL will take him before the 60th pick. You know, I don't know. I don't know if – you're, you're right. He's, he's not um, – he's a gamble at 21, but – I don't know whether or not he would wind up getting getting plucked before 60 or not because you're you're still have the well what if they don't wind up implementing the DH if it's so so this will segment half of the teams you know what I mean who it's like cross your fingers and pray to god this guy can can play first base which is already a pretty limited profile as it is so if you're segmenting it to just American League teams that's a very small market for him so I think he could he might be around at 60 he's i got him at 104 on the composite right now but uh pipeline had him at uh, 88th ranked fan graphs had him 95 and there's there's obviously still uh still some room to grow there but let me just point this peter alonzo nolan gorman both guys that a ton of teams passed on because of defensive worries how many teams do you think would love to have that peter alonzo pick back uh, probably, uh, probably most of them. Yeah. Probably he, all of them. Yeah. I mean, and he wound up falling. Part of that had to do with the fact that he, he had gotten injured, uh, leading up to the college world series. But yeah, I mean, Alonzo, he could always hit. And that, that was the, that was the question about him is, is he really going to wind up hitting enough to where his defense doesn't matter? And you have the similar question about McCann who has an 1162 OPS right now with 18 home runs and nine doubles through 46 <laughs> games. <laughs> Pretty good. Really good. good, and he's playing in the ACC, which is really good baseball as well. I know the SEC is what everybody thinks is best, but he's slugging 707. He's got an OBP of almost 500 as well. I mean, he's a guy. He's got 49 walks to 54 strike. He's got more RBI than strikeouts, which for a guy that you're relying on as bat, it's a big deal. I'm just saying I'm not going to be shocked if Kyle McCann is a big riser come the draft season. I don't, I don't know if he's a first-rounder necessarily, but I will not be shocked if he's gone before the 60th pick. I know what the composites are, and I know a lot of the composites have to do with the fact that he is absolutely atrocious defensively. But if you're just talking about pure bats, I will not be shocked if somebody rolls the dice on him, especially if they think that he can be a Mitch Garver as a catcher, somebody that's not a good defensive catcher but can hit so well that you're okay with it. And I'm not talking about uh, I'm not talking about Evan Gaddis, who everybody loves, 
but Gaddis is kind of an all or nothing home run or nothing type of catcher. Kyle McCann is a catcher that will hit you 300 and will just happen to mash you 30 plus homers. And college bats always rise getting closer to the draft. So, so you could be onto something. I don't like the way you're talking down about the composite here, but, uh, but <laughs> For the I, most part, I loved it. My only problem with your composite is I couldn't narrow it down to just Atlanta. I had to keep scrolling through all of that. And here's, here's the, like you can, you can do the, the search for Atlanta. The problem is I want to make it publicly available to everybody to where everybody can mess with the filters. But when I've got like nine different people that are trying to filter something at the same time, it can get a little hairy and it will take just one instance of somebody going, oops, I deleted everything. Sorry. <laughs> Control Z. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there, there's gotta be, there, there's gotta be a way to, to, I think I don't want to just have to back it up every time I wind up putting it up. So, uh, Boggy, hit me up, man. We'll we'll figure out some ways for me to lock my spreadsheet down. That's my he's my guru. <laughs> it, it was an absolutely awesome composite. Has one of the deepest I've ever seen. Uh, Baseball America went three hundred deep on theirs, and Doc decided that you know mm, that's that's cute. Let me show you what what a real guy does and did it himself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what the the BA team, man. All of the respect that I have goes out to those guys i mean the amount of work that they put in i mean and pipeline and fan graphs and and everybody but baseball america especially as it pertains to the draft the amount of work that carlos Colazo and jj cooper and all those guys are doing over there is just amazing so um we've had carlos on before i'd uh, love to get him on again so much like nolan king and trey harris carlos i know you're listening so you know just hit us up whenever you're ready that's right. We'll have to get him on again after the draft to talk about the steals of this one like we did last year. But we do have to end the show. We actually went double the length on the segment that I really wanted to today. Um, God, did we really? Yes, we did. Uh, but don't forget, my partner over here will be living the Italian life next week. So Jordy, the the uh, let's see, it is what what is the Twitter handle? Is uh, at Jordan is a brave. Be sure to follow our our buddy Jordy, and it's a real good guy. Um, he's going to be uh, taking a place next week. He was the one that, that won the, I always want to say costume contest. He won the costume contest and he won the co-hosting contest uh, through, he, he's a longtime listener and uh, we're just so excited to get him on. I'm honestly, based on the videos he sent, I'm kind of nervous that he's going to wind up taking my job. So um, Jordy, just please leave a seat for me. When I get back, I will be back in two weeks. Uh, in the meantime, I am going to go do all of the touristy things you can think of. I'm going to the Coliseum, going to the Vatican. I'm uh, going to ride a gondola in Venice, and I'm going to drink a lot of wine. So a lot I will of wine sure, and coffee. Yeah, I will, and uh, plenty of cheese. So um, <laughs> I will uh, be obnoxiously posting pictures when we get back. The thing I'm most excited about is to just go get off the grid for a little while. So while I'm gone, you guys got to be promised, you got to be nice to each other. Yeah, and um, don't be too hateful to me when uh, you see the show sheet will be what what I prepare next week instead of Doc. Uh, so there is a chance that next week's show could get off the rails if things don't happen the way I expect them to do. Doc does a really great job of keeping me in line. So, Jordy, I hope you come prepared for uh, for anything. To all you guys out there, thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Next week, we'll, we'll continue hitting up our, our draft stuff as it goes along. Next week, no Doc, but when he comes back, we're going to be ready and raring to go with more draft stuff. Hopefully the Braves will have gone on a nice big run. But anyway, enough is enough. We've talked enough for one night. Thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero.
Let's go, let's go.